Hello, everyone. Uh, thanks for joining us. I listening to the Good Club podcast. This is episode seven. I'm Jay Cobb. Uh, you can reach, find me up there at TBCJ. And uh, with me are, we have uh, Alex with us. Hello. Greetings from San Diego. Thanks for joining us, Alex. Uh, Alex is a contributor for the Book Club. Uh, Avi Mizro. How you doing? Thank you. Uh, Avi Wolf, that is uh, also a contributor. Uh, Rhino Pundit. Hey, guys. You can find me on Twitter at Rhino Pundit, as you know. I hope. <laughs> or on YouTube at a million clicks.com or whatever. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And TC, Tim Carlson from Omaha. Sass country. What country? Sass. Ben Sass. Oh, yes. Ben Sass country. Yeah. Or flyover uh, country to all you people out in New York. I mean, I... Or Alex I, San Diego. I've never actually flown over um, Nebraska. Uh, okay, topic number one. Uh, Avi, actually, I'll let you introduce it because this was at, uh, this was at your request, so um, it's all yours, Avi. Okay. We all know that a big chunk of people nowadays are supporting Trump, but we also know that not everybody is a full-on enthusiastic supporter. If we set aside the, uh, the sell-outs from the conservatives and the real uh, MAGA hats people and the racists, uh, there is a substantial group of people, uh, quote-unquote, in our camp, who one might say are elected Trumpers who really are genuinely I'm voting Trump because I think Hillary is worse, or I'm voting Trump because I'm, that, uh, I'm a party man, or I'm voting Trump just because I think somehow we'll survive Trump and not Hillary, um, or because maybe he's not so awful and they delude themselves that that is the case, and willingly so, but they're not, at the very least, there's that element of shame that it's not, oh, gee, what he's doing is so great. My question is, how exactly, assuming one hopes that he loses uh, in, in November, how does one bring those people back in? Uh, how does one reconcile if possible? Okay. Well, first we tar them, then we feather them, uh, then we forgive them. We're going to put them in the stocks, though, right? <laughs> no, no, not the stocks. The pillory is, the pillory is fine. Okay. Well, first we tar them, then we feather them, uh, then we forgive them. We're going to put them in the stocks, though, right? <laughs> no, no, not the stocks. The pillory is the pillory is fine. I, I'm not sure what it's going to look like, but I think they're going to need to make some form of... I don't want to say concession. That's not the right word. But they need to, to make a, a movement for that they realized it wasn't quite the best thing uh, and to slowly re-enter themselves uh, as they want to to the movement, I guess. No, the way I see it, the people that we you know that were supportive of you no know, that endorsed Trump before the India no before at at the latest the Indiana primary, especially those before Super Tuesday, those guys are unsaving. No, they're either sellouts or the full-on alt-right. So the ones after the Indiana primary and definitely after Trump clinched the nomination, those have to be looked at on a case-by-case -case basis. 
like Newt, Ging Newt Gingrich and, uh, I don't know, Mike Pence, definitely. The ones who came out and really went insane. Well, Mike those, Pence uh, has, been, uh, has been praising Putin along with, uh, along with Trump now, so I don't think there's any... Uh, I don't think there's any um, any going back from that. The fact that he thought Trump was a no a, a no was a sane enough candidate to be his vice president basically screw no, basically disqualifies Pence. But as I said, the ones who are kind of like supportive but not all together full, like people no people like hmm, Rubio, Tom Cotton, I think. Basically, any of the Repu Republican senators that are up for re-election this year, like McCain, you could put those. You could forgive those. Well, I think I think what Avi was talking about more was was the the little guys, not really the big fry. Um, I'll, I'll say this: um, on, this, this is my my view. When anyone who's a you know quote unquote thought leader, a radio guy, or a, a, a blogger, or a journalist. Uh, those people have lost their right to lead the movement. Uh, I don't care who you are. I don't care, you know, how, uh, you know, if you got off the train just in time. Um, if you helped Trump, if you supported Trump, whether before or after, you demonstrated that you lack the uh, the skills to lead. Uh, you lack the, the, the backbone. But the common people, the, the little guys, um, the voters that will vote for him, you know, voters are voters are idiots, right? Um, so they're easily swayed by stuff. Right. That's what I said. They're idiots. They. Jeez. Oh, That's a little harsh. I mean, he's not wrong. <laughs> you could you could say they have a very short attention span. All right. So voters who decided to vote for Trump over Hillary. Um, I don't see any problem with. I mean, there's nothing. There's nothing inherently wrong with them as people. They're just, you know, they voted for Trump. Now, what has to happen is that the party, uh, whether it's the Republican Party or a new party, has to make it clear that the principles we stand for uh, are not uh, at all welcoming to the alt right, uh, to the racist, to the bigots, etc. Um, and that uh, you know, if you are uh, on the center right, and uh, and you voted for Trump reluctantly. Um, you have to know these are the new principles that that we're going to operate by. Uh, if you prefer the Trump kind of movement to that, then then that's the movement you're going to join. You're not going to be part of our movement. Our movement. Uh, but I do think there should be outreach. There should be. Um, coordinated, you know, we should try to reach out to these people and explain to them why it wasn't right, uh, why this is not the way. So, like an autopsy? The problem with an autopsy, yes, an autopsy, uh, but we've done that before. The problem with an autopsy is that, you know, it's usually, done on, so it's usually done on someone dead, right? But the, the, the people who, it's an insider thing. Who's reading the the document of the autopsy? I mean, it's you know a bunch of insiders passing it around. You can't just give your grandmother a PDF of the autopsy uh, and say, "Hey, this is something that we're gonna um, that uh, that now we have to do," and have her read it. Uh, you know, what you have to do is reach out to her on Facebook or whatever it is and uh, explain why it's necessary. I think it would help to have someone like Paul Ryan 
uh, step forward and have a speech outlining, you know, what we're talking about here. Like, this is what went wrong, and here's why. To start the discussion among the grassroots, I guess. Well, um, if I may add to this, uh, in addition to the question of Trump, I think in the piece I published, I mean, uh, self-promotion here, but still. It was a great oh, piece. I mean, everyone should read it. I highly recommend it. Message to the, to the right wing, grow up. We need to understand that politics means coalitions. It means people who are going to disagree, not because they're all a bunch of squishes and not because they're all a bunch of evil people, but because we have different principles and those principles clash. First and foremost, if we're going to stop with this insane anger, we need to understand that even within our own camp, there are differences of opinion, and that doesn't mean the other side is evil. I mean, I don't like Kasich uh, at all, but I don't think he's evil. I don't think he's Satan embodied. Uh, and I don't think the same thing of Cruz, and I disagree with both men in many things. But I think that um, this tendency to, to not understand that if we want to win, we need to build coalitions both within the camp and outside the camp among the general populace uh, will just remain completely vulnerable to this sort of Trump mania again. Are there uh, any any last comments? I think we have to. We're going to wrap up this topic, so let's give it a, a another thirty seconds or so. Uh, I do. I have a quick comment about the coalitions issue. I think that no, with the no, the Soviet Union, no, the existence of the communism in the Soviet Union. That's what kept the old conservative coalition that Nixon basically started going: fiscal conservatives, social conservatives, and neoconservatives. But with the fall of the Soviet Union and the, ba the transformation of terrorism from a national security type issue into a more no, culturally based economic, no, it, immigration issue, the old coalition of the populist right and the so-called traditionally liberal, classically liberal right, I don't think it's sustainable. And I guess that, that wraps up the topic. Uh, joining us, uh, aside from everyone who's been on before, uh, Alex, Avi, uh, Rhino, and TC, uh, Liam Donovan is, has joined us now. So uh, thanks, uh, Liam. Hey, Jay. Uh, thanks for having me. Happy to be here. Sure. Joining the show in progress. <laughs> yeah. Welcome. Yeah, so I think you guys wanted to talk a little bit about the, um, about the fun stuff we have going on the Hill here, I think, right now, tackling the Zika problem. I think Lewis, are you are you alive down there? Is he is he on the Lewis, is anybody in Florida? Uh, no? Yeah. Oh it's sad. Maybe the Zika got him. I don't know. <laughs> he's at Disney World, so he's very likely to get Zika. Wait, and, and <laughs> I don't know that's not either. So that's that's our Florida all our Florida man. Florida I, Zika I got hope him. they're well. I wish them well. We I hope we can get that funding down to him soon. I hope they're not pregnant. <laughs> I don't think Lewis is. But anyways, you know, I, I think um, it's an interesting case study because it's it actually speaks to um, some of the broader issues. This is an, an acute example, um, you know, of, a, of an emergency type funding bill. Um, but it's the the reason that things like tricky riders get slipped onto this is because that's how policy is made anymore. Because we don't we don't move any bills except the ones we have to by law, and the only thing that Congress has to do is perpetuate itself. Keep keep the government 
uh, running, keep keep themselves paid, um, and in this case, um, keeping emergency funds flowing. Um, I think one thing that makes the Zika thing a little bit less of a pressing issue beyond just the geographic sort of um, uh, narrowness of it is the fact that I think people freaked out over Ebola said, take whatever you want. And the way it works is that the CDC or whomever is going to, they're going to ask for big, you know, not, not to denigrate their, their motives, but they're going to ask for anything they can get. And so I think after Ebola um, blew by uh, without a whole lot um, uh, relatively unscathed, I think people are being uh, approaching it a little bit differently. And so when the president came out and requested $1.9 billion in, um, in February, uh, that sort of sat there for, for a little while. Um, what they did was found, I think, like $600 million in unspent Ebola funds and sort of reappropriated it. And what they're saying now is that's, that's it. And so, you know, it's it's going to run out soon. We need, um, you know, the, obviously the fiscal year ends at the end of September. Um, so we need this. We need this money. We need it stat. And what they're using right now is the military construction and veteran veterans affairs appropriations bill. So that is its own. Um, it has its own set of issues. Um, it it has its own sort of policy bugaboos and riders that, so you're, you're hearing a few things right now. Right now, Zika is not happening because intransigent Republicans are trying to, uh, are trying to take money away from Planned Parenthood. They're trying to spend money on uh, Confederate flags and veterans uh, cemeteries. There's, there's all sorts of sort of uh, tropes at this point that are trotted out. And none of it's really true. Um, the, uh, the issue. The over right now? So, well, there's, there's a couple different things. The first and, and most top line issue is there's the amount requested. So the president asks for $1.9 billion. The House comes and says, okay, we'll give you $600 million. And, uh, you know, you, you start there. You have your sort of boundaries on, on uh, one side or the other. The Senate comes in and says, okay, let's split the difference. We'll give you $1.1. Um, so the Senate passed a bill, um, you know, meant to be sort of a, a split the difference, um, $1.1 billion. They, the Democrats said, no, that's not enough what the Senate did at that point or Senate Republicans did was say, okay, we're going to, you know, typically the, the schoolhouse rocks version of this is uh, house passes their version, Senate passes their version. They go to conference and they hash things out. Usually that involves both parties. So you have sort of four groups, you have um, house Republicans, Senate Republicans and, and uh, house and Senate Democrats. Um, this was more or less hashed out between, or not more or less, it was hashed out between the Republicans on the house and Senate. So, to get the house to go along and to be able to sustain, you know, 218 votes, they said, okay, these are the things that we need. We need to put in something there that relates to um, the, where the, where the Planned Parenthood issue comes in. There's no actual language in the bill that relates to Planned Parenthood, but there is, well, I'm getting ahead of myself here. So there's an amount issue. The, the other issue is the offsets. So where is this money coming from? Are we just adding it to the debt or are we taking it from somewhere else? The president wants it just to be all new appropriations. Republicans want that offset somehow. Um, the conference sort of split the difference bill is sort of, it's sort of, again, splitting the baby. Part of it's offset, part of it's new appropriations. And, but part of, to get this agreement in conference that now the House and, and the Senate keeps rejecting, but the House has passed, one of the items in there uh, relates to uh, what's called the uh, social services block grant. The block grants are just money that the federal government sends to the states to do with it what they want. 
So that would presumably, if without um, parameters on it, that would include giving money to anybody, whether it's Planned Parenthood or Chuck E. Cheese, it doesn't matter. The issue is they put a phrase, you know, this is, we talk about riders, they put a rider on it that says to qualify for this. And it's not, so there's $1.1 billion in Zika aid involved here. It's not $1.1 billion that we're talking about. It's, it's $95 million in that that is related to what's called the Social Services Block Grant that goes to the states. In order to be eligible to receive the Social Services Block Grant money, you have to be either a public health department to be a hospital or you have to be a, someone that's eligible to receive like, like publicly funded health care. So in most cases, in most states, actually, Planned Parenthood is eligible to receive um, Medicaid funds, for instance. So it's not technically doing anything to Planned Parenthood. The reason you start hearing about, oh, this is going to cut off Planned Parenthood in Puerto Rico is because the Puerto Rico Planned Parenthood Federation member is not eligible for those funds. So it's if you could make the argument that this vague language that doesn't mention PP uh, is going to keep Puerto Ricans from getting birth control related to, you know, or, or funds. Right, so, fund so birth control. Let's back up a little bit. I'm a little confused. Yeah. Um, who wants what exactly as far as the – right now, what does the bill have that, that – and who doesn't like it in, as far as Planned Parenthood? Uh, so, so in, in – I go basically ahead. know that there's a big feud about this in the Florida Senate race. Yeah, so so right now Rubio is being hit on this um, because he supported and voted for the measure as it stands, which um, as it as it's written now. And let me let me pull up the uh, the language because that's it's a little bit important. But no, it ultimately I don't I don't think will will be an issue because it's going to be dropped. People are ready to get out of town. It specifically refers to quote for health services provided by public health departments, hospitals, or reimbursed through public health plans. So nothing about Planned Parenthood, nothing about abortion, nothing about clinics, nothing about anything else. It Who just, put this language in? This came in in the conference bill. So it was House Republicans and Dem and, and uh, Senate Republicans talking, and they needed something. I, these guys, uh, I think the way they treat this stuff is you need something you can tout. And, and uh, by, by being able to sort of obliquely stick it to Planned Parenthood, because let's be honest, that's what, this, that's what the, the intention is to be somewhat punitive in terms of, you know, this isn't, this has nothing to do with money. That's the 400 million that the federal government is giving to Planned Parenthood annually right now. This is about the specifically uh, the $95 million appropriated in the social services block grant um, right here. So the, the, I think the, the sort of canary in a coal mine is Marco Rubio saying, look, and I think part of this is you only have a delegation of however many members from Florida and you have 535 guys in Washington. So, you know, the uh, the Florida contingent is saying, OK, I don't care what it takes. You know, if it if it's a little language about reimbursed public health plans, like get rid of it. Let's just get this money. Um, and I think the uh, the leadership would be inclined to give them that. And you're already starting to, to get the. Uh, the sense that things are, are um, starting to shift. So uh, the other issue, so there's the amount, there's the offsets, and there's the vehicle. And the vehicle in this case is military construction and VA, which has its own issue related to Confederate flags. The Democrats included in uh, language in, the, in the, the bill back when they were going through the appropriations process that would prohibit the current policy, which says uh, in, it's different and different uh, depending on whether it's run by the VA or uh, run by different um, federal cemetery agencies, but you can put a small 
uh, Confederate flag on two days a year in some cemeteries if it's done not with taxpayer funds and done by like, you know, uh, sons of the Confederate veterans or something like that. Um, Jared Huffman from California inserted language um, that would uh, prohibit that from happening. And so uh, that language does not appear in the conference bill. So to the extent they're trying to make an issue out of the Confederate flag issue, it's, it's, it has nothing to do with language that's in there. It's about the absence of language that Democrats want in there. So, so if I can just understand the, the thing. So this, uh, instead of doing a Zika bill, they're doing a military appropriate, they're tagging it onto a military appropriation bill because that's just how they do things. Correct. And, and then um, this, uh, this well, who's this guy from California, you said? Yeah, that's this is a sort of a side story, but Jared Huffman from California uh, uh, is the one. Uh, he wants to slip in this extra language that, uh, I mean, it, it doesn't sound like something I would really disagree with in terms of a Confederate flag, but it's just like, you know, why? It, yeah, it, it's sort of the inverse of this. It, it's, it's the Democrat equivalent of what Republicans are trying to do on Zika. So it's a tit-for-tat thing. Um, but to the point about a vehicle, um, they're going to shed this. It's not going to move on Milcon VA with the fact that we are 20 days out from, a, a, you know, hypothetically a government shutdown. Um, it will go on the continuing resolution. And that's what's happening right now. The, the Senate leaders are hashing out um, something that along the lines of the funding uh, the the 1.1 billion that the, that's already been agreed to. Um, there's questions of offsets. There's questions of a few other things. These riders are not going to last. But I think it's instructive because um, you know this is a little bit different because you're talking about an emergency um, funding that's happening you know 60 days out from a, an important election um, that relates to Florida. So I think um, this is not a uh, this is a poor uh, hill to die on, um, mm-hmm. but it relates to issues that you're going to see again, because we're probably going to see a three month clean ish CR here. That's going to get us from September into December. Um, and so we're going to refight these battles in December, not necessarily on plain period, but probably um, we're going to refight the cemetery stuff, all of these issues because they, they're not litigated elsewhere because the only legislation we move is the stuff that we have to, to keep the lights on. That's why you have these really irritating political um, sort of uh, showboating votes. So I, I think it'll, it'll slip here. Um, the fact that Rubio has come out against this is in- indicative of where this is going. But I think uh, I, I wrote a piece on this um, about the, the cromnibus that everyone likes to, to decry that, that happened at the very beginning of, uh, well, I guess, end of banner speakership, if you want to talk about it that way, but wrote about why this stuff happens because if you ha- riders are fine, they're great. They're a good opportunity to shape policy, particularly conservative policy. But the problem is, while something you know among 247 Republicans, if the little Planned Parenthood piece might have support from 230 people, if those same people won't go and vote for the underlying bill, then it's totally worthless, and it leaves you in in the sort of the lurch that you are that you're that you are currently. So I think that's um, that's the broader issue here is that you pick these political issues that may or may not merit the fight, but unless you have sort of, I, I, I don't want to pick on them, but that, the House Freedom Caucus type members, unless they're wor- willing to vote for the underlying funding bill, because they'll vote for the, the sort of hot button, you know, rider language, but when push comes to shove, they would abandon you because it, it doesn't, you know, balance the budget in six months. So um, that's that's sort of the, the dynamic that 
that is problematic and in any kind of rider situation. I don't care if it's about Planned Parenthood. I don't care if it's about Syrian refugees. I don't care if it's about um, uh, you know H-1B was, was an issue there. Unless these guys are willing to vote for the underlying funding mechanisms, where it's a, whether it's a CR or a Zika bill, the riders are not going to make it in. Thanks for uh, giving us your your uh, your vantage point, uh, Liam. It's it's really great to have that. One last question for you, Liam: Is Marco Rubio, Rubio a rhino squish trader? Well, I think that's isn't that self evident. I think I think this capitulation just shows you um, really that he's a globalist um, shill for for the um, sort of conservative conservative movement. The next topic that we were going to uh, get into is racial demographics. Uh, uh, all right, so Phyllis Schlafly. Am I pronouncing her name right? Her name right? Schlafly. 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 Yeah. There's an extra elder. Schlafly. Yes. All right. Uh, so she passed this week, and uh, you know her legacy is, um, you know whatever it was, 65 years of uh, political activism, uh, and then and then Trump. Uh, that's it. It's actually really a shame that... Uh... So the thing is, Phyllis Schlafly is what kind of jumped out at me, is that when you look at her, uh, her career, so she did a lot of great work. She really did. But towards the end, um, I, I think you can kind of trace it to around Obama's election. And it's not just her, but she embraced... What's that guy from uh, Tancredo, right? Uh, Tancredo from from Colorado. He was the uh, he, he was the immigration hardliner. Uh, yeah, and the one who ran for governor on the Constitution Party line. Yeah, yeah, that's the one. Uh, so he, a lot of people uh, have kind of become very very concerned about immigration, and a lot of them should know better. Uh, and then there's, you know, your typical person that listens to Rush and, and, and just hears, you know, whatever. And, and, and reads Ann Coulter. Exactly. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do a little bit here of uh, – I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read something Rush said earlier this week. Apologies in advance if this comes out really bad. But uh, So there's this article. It, I think it was on uh, Claremont Institute about Trump. And it doesn't come out and say it. You kind of have to read between the lines. Uh, so here's something that Rush said uh, based on it. Uh, how can you sit there and agree how rotten things are, how we're in a downward spiral, everything we believe in is being transformed and torn apart and not reacting as though we're in a big crisis, as though we can just continue to do what we're doing, writing our same old policy papers, enunciating our same old principles to an audience that is further and further removed by virtue of immigration and other tricks the Democrats are using to totally change the face of the electorate in this country. Uh, that's Rush Limbaugh basically saying um, the Democrats are bringing in brown people, and brown people vote Democrat. I mean, that, I, don't, I don't say, I mean, he's not saying that exactly. He knows how to say, by virtue of immigration, they're changing the face of the electorate. Uh, but that's what he's saying. This is, you know, something that kind of has to be pushed back against. I mean, I'm going to read a little bit from, uh, I'm going to drop that, that, Rush thing. I, I don't think that was very. You you um, were piercing my you were piercing my safe space here. Uh well okay all the more reason then. Uh <laughs> but uh, the Claremont article itself uh has the following passage: uh, simply building a wall and enforcing immigration law will help enormously by cutting off the flood of uh, newcomers. And by the way, the article itself 
is against is anti legal immigration as well. So we're not talking about about you know what should you enforce the laws or not. We're we're talking about just the general principle of do we want these people and by these people I mean Mexicans. Uh, by cutting off the flood of newcomers that perpetuates ethnic separatism and by incentivizing the English language and American norms in the work... I, I don't understand what that... I mean, that has to be code word for brown people are lazy, right? What is this American norms in the workplace that um, that we think these immigrants don't have that, that we have? I mean, this is, you know... Um, and, of course... For, for added fun, the article continues, uh, these policies will have the added benefit of aligning the economic interests of and fostering solidarity among the working lower and middle classes, all races and ethnicities, which is positively Marxist language. I mean, when you're talking about the you know economic interests of the working class solidarity and all this kind of stuff, I, I'm sold. I remember that um, the conservative movement didn't always like to separate people by 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 car. Separatism, call it uh, call it whatever you want. Uh, it's here, and I think it has to be addressed. I think it has to be pushed back on. I think people it needs to be explained to people, uh, not only why it's bad to think this way, but why, but why it's incorrect. Uh, it was a bit of a long monologue by me there. Uh, uh, anyone want to chime in? Well, part and parcel of it, as I mentioned in this private discussion we had before, is that. While people like Coulter have been sounding the alarm ostensibly over this thing, uh, a lot of people on the left have been jumping up and down and saying, "Your days are numbered, white man." It's uh, very true. And I'm not, and I'm not just talking about rabble rousers like Metcases and La Raza. I'm talking about mainstream uh, liberal or liberalish publications that talk about, "Hooray, the whites are going to become a minority." Now I don't know if it's going to be. I don't know if it's actually going to happen, and I don't necessarily see that as a bad thing in a, in a country that's based on integration like the United States. But but this did not just come from the right, and it and and it's important to acknowledge that. And I some mean, would say that that these um, you know neo Marxists um, on the on the so called right. Uh, are also, you know, this this idea to look at everything uh, as a zero-sum game uh, and through the prism of race and class, um, some would say that it, that it comes from the left. So it's so both sides of this issue are on the left, if you put it that way. I mean, let's let's get back a little bit to um, explaining why the race the 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 racialists or whatever you want to call them uh, at at Claremont at um, you know Mark Hercorian, um <clears throat> at uh, Center for what's SCIS I'm forgetting what exactly what it stands Center for, for Immigration Studies. Yeah, uh, it claims to be pro-immigration on their website, which is a laugh. But, um, yeah, I mean, they're full of all sorts of bogus studies. Like, for example, they had a study about uh, 75% of illegal immigrants uh, are criminals. Uh, now, the only way you can get to those numbers is by simply counting the fact that they're illegal, let's say they're working, uh, which is illegal for them to work, uh, as a crime. Now, of course it's a crime, but... It's more a civil wrong rather than a actual crime. Well, I mean, even if you, even if it's a crime, right? Um, the question is, when you put out a number like that, put out a stat like that, and you get people, you know, um, simple-minded people on Twitter just, you know, tweeting out um, that, uh, that look at all this crime that these illegals are bringing in, uh, and when you see that 75%, what you think, what pops into your head is that these, you know, are all a bunch of 
you know, they're they're up selling heroin to 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 Maine, and it's all their fault that that you know that Maine is a hellhole. It's not their fault. Like what Paula Page said about that. Yeah, yeah. When in reality, it's just the simple fact that there's multiple studies actually have shown that in terms of violent crime and in terms of non-immigration related crime, they actually commit crimes at a lower rate than citizens. So that panic is is unwarranted. I think yeah, what's going on is that the Democrats need to find some way to, uh, or found a lot of success, I should say, in the civil rights movement in the 60s, that, um, especially with Johnson, and I think they want to replicate that probably with, with illegal immigration and hopefully um, pander to them enough that they can permanently gain their vote, permanently put them into the win column in terms of voting, and the Republicans or the conservatives or the click conservatives, whoever, are upset about that and doing everything they can to make sure that those people aren't integrated into society, so that the Democrats can't have that winning that winning uh, element in their in their populace, yeah, their polling I can, populace. I think that's I think that's a very that's that's a valid point to a certain extent, but it's also true that both I mean Democrats had time when they controlled all three branches of government in 2009, and they did not. They they didn't solve this problem. So and they, also, and they also um maybe there is a bit of an altruistic or not quite altruistic but a uh, sentimental value towards going back to civil rights kind of issue. Uh, but the way the Democrats have have talked, as Avi pointed out earlier, is uh, they want this. They think that the more the more illegals that come in, uh, those mean more voters for them, and you know. I don't think they're being altruistic here. I think they. I think it's true that they see things the same way as the immigration hardliners in, in terms of what, who these new voters will vote for. We have to remember. Remember one thing though about the whole immigration issue. It's not new. The same. No, the same rhetoric that come from like the Jeff Session types or Ted Cruz's latest flip flop. Those were the same things that applied back in, let's say, the 1920s, or the 1920s, based on like all the Jew Eastern European Jewish immigration. The second wave of the Klan that formed in the 1920s was because of immigration. It had nothing to do with African Americans. Yeah, it's but very they, true, and you can even trace like, back if you want, or you can trace no, back yeah, to the uh, Know Nothing the Party with the Know Nothing Party. Yeah. All of this is pop. No, it's all populist rhetoric. Like when economic times get hard, you blame the no the immigrants that come in for taking of the job for taking your jobs. When in reality, it's just more the downturn of the cycle or greater innovation. I would I would go further. It's not just a thing of immigration. Uh, immigration and the question of them uh, of a lot of people voting uh, Democrat is in longer term. Another concern, but what's funny is that I have never heard any serious proposals, say, for at least trying to assimilate or, or greater acculturate the people coming in. Uh, and by the way, it's it's uh, nowadays uh, main source of immigration is actually from Asia. It's a lot less from Mexico. The big wave and in the Mexico. Asians. I mean, you know, when you meet Asian, they they really want to. Um, Become American. Um, they're they much more. I mean, look at the the governor of Louisiana until recently was a fellow by the name of Bobby Jindal. Uh, Bobby was his birth name. Uh, it was a name that he kind of 
uh, adopted to be more Nikki Haley. Nikki Haley from South Carolina. Her real name was Nikira Rodhapur, something like that. Well, maybe she just got tired of having to correct everyone's pronunciation. Uh, yeah, I mean, the, it's it's very, very true what Alex was saying, that the arguments that the current immigration hardliners are saying were said before, and they were wrong then and they're wrong now. Um, when you look at, you know, people were arguing, like, in terms of, you know, people argue that, you know, you come from Mexico, Mexico uh, is not a very uh, successfully run country. In fact, uh, Trump visiting there practically... Um, uh, the, one of the ministers resigned because of it. Yeah, that's not really a sign of a very well-run country. Uh, so then you have the people saying, you know, there was like this, um, you know, the Breitbart people saying, uh, oh, the Mexicans want to bring their, uh, their, their troubles with them. Uh, now, the truth is that, you know, we've had a lot of immigrants from a lot of countries that were not democratic. We have immigrants from, you know, from Slavic countries like Russia, Italy, which at the time was was you know the not very democratic. The German, no, the German principalities. Yeah, I mean, when they came, they 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 did not come from a place where where democracy was, my, you know, was yeah. My where, dad fled. My dad fled Iran in 1979. That definitely wasn't democratic. Yeah, I think that. Uh, 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 just far too much of this, and it goes back to the whole racial thing, is that everybody has really gotten used to, uh, I mean, the left encourages it, but the right has also gotten used to thinking of everybody in terms of big clusters of lobby groups without distinguishing between different origins and different desires, as if all Mexicans just hate America and want to reannex the Southwest or some crazy idea. Or, or everybody who comes from uh, from the third world is necess necessarily has a third world mentality. That mindset, that is the really dangerous element, I think. Far more than anything else, far more than worries about Democrat votes, far more than discussions of specifically what to do with the illegals already present. That mindset of everybody is one big blob group that thinks the same, that's a really dangerous part. Well, I think it kind of gets back, maybe a, maybe it's not true, but gets back to a little bit about what Liam was talking about on the Zika virus, or at least in my mind it does, is that the different elements, the different Republicans and Democrats and whatever else, want to um, make a stand on these on these hills and get the get the hits, get the the interviews on TV about how they stand against this or they stand for this or whatever it is, and it's all to pander to their electorate to get their vote and hopefully make it back into Congress or the White House or wherever it is again. And so they they fight these things that ought not to be fought in public but ought to be hashed out in private and then come to a consensus. And I think most Americans would be happy with that, but it's such a problem that we have to polarize ourselves about, you know, well, if they're all legals, send them all back or no, they belong here. You know, we'd have to have so much compassion for them. I don't know. I just find it really frustrating about the whole political process and, and all of the stuff that goes on in TV. Uh, okay, so the question of the week is um, on the... All right, so we, we, the, the pumpkin spice season is in. Uh, that scourge on humanity. 
Um, I am of oh, course. Yeah. I'm I'm of course uh, completely objective here, and we're just asking this neutral question of everyone: What is your opinion on this horrible thing called pumpkin spice? I don't know what pumpkin spice is, so maybe you guys can enlighten me. It's a spice made with pumpkins. <laughs> is it really? <laughs> well, obviously. I have no opinion. Although I thought it was, I thought it was made from sarsaparilla, but I guess that's just me. Well, it might be. I don't know. With with artificial flavorings today, I mean, it's probably just made out of. Uh, it's probably made out of corn uh, grown <laughs> in uh, TC's backyard over there, and uh, in uh, Nebraska. Yeah. The Why ethanol- does everybody go to that? Like, I don't. I don't see corn when I go anywhere. <laughs> I thought. I thought it would be. You know, be more uh, added to the ethanol subsidies. You also have the pumpkin spice subsidies that Iowa depends on. I don't know where. Where do they even grow pumpkins? Seems like something they would have in California. I don't know why I think that, but it's there just... are actually some pumpkin farms here in Jersey. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Really? Yeah, you can blame Jersey. I'm sorry. <laughs> On behalf of uh, the state of New Jersey, I apologize for the pumpkin spice craze. You gave us Chris Christie. The right. pumpkins are okay compared to that. Well, I mean, isn't do we? I mean, do we know that Chris Christie isn't just a, a few pumpkins stacked? All right, uh, who else did You're we... You're losing uh, control okay, so here. Tim, uh, TC, uh, let's get your opinion on pumpkin spice latte. Uh, uh, I've honestly never had one. I find the whole craze to be ridiculous. I do like a little bit of pumpkin pie around Thanksgiving or maybe Christmas, but uh, uh, it seems a little uh, over the top. So I'm, I'm anti-pumpkin spice. What about coffee? I'm pro-coffee. I roast my own coffee. I brew delicious coffee. Uh, I am a coffee semi-connoisseur. I don't like the taste of coffee. So what's your opinion about those two things together? Um, Those those two do not belong together. Those two never should have been brought together. But Starbucks needed to sell more sugar to unwitting customers. As a a hack lobbyist, I respect... um, Big pumpkin and all of its advocacy skills. So I think I just tip my hat to him. Um, I think whatever they're doing is working. You've sold your soul to K Street. <laughs> Big pumpkin. They they run the show. Uh, no, my wife my wife enjoys a pumpkin spice latte. She was actually she actually made a comment over Labor Day weekend that she was actually looking forward to the ability to procure a delicious custom pumpkin spice latte because you don't want the two pumps because it's too much. You got to sort of uh, maybe a pump and a half. You got to be difficult when you get in there and not order your no foam, uh, you know, orange mocha frappuccino. So, do they spell her name right? Uh, hers is easy. Uh, okay. So yeah. <laughs> All right. I mean, I guess kind of like what the question I was asked is: if there's really a market for um, pumpkin coffee, uh, where, uh, why don't they sell it year round? Because then you need a gimmick, and white girls go crazy over this stuff. So I had the effect of that when uh, somehow or another I ended up in my my pantry with, you know, Keurig like a like a maybe a twelve pack that that lasted year round because the stuff's so terrible that I only drank it when I ran out of the rest. So uh, <laughs> I, got, I got to enjoy pumpkin coffee year round uh, out of uh, by default. Remember, if it's around if it's around all the time, people start getting tired of it. They need to keep keep the demand you know, keep the demand up. Oh, it's only going to be there for no for three weeks. Everybody goes to it so that they don't don't lose it, even though they might not like it. It also might be hard to grow pumpkins year round. I think now is the the good time to 
to like start them growing. There, stuff. There's no real pumpkin in the pumpkin spice latte. You realize that? Blaspheme. That wrong. Wrong. There's no way there's pumpkin in there. It's big mean, pumpkin striking again. Big big pumpkin has managed to sell you, um, you know, some kind of corn extract, or maybe it's some kind of you know whatever, uh, you know, something made in a laboratory in uh, in Area 51. And uh, they managed another, to... another thing Paul Ryan has sold his sold his soul to. He's owned uh, he was owned by the the pro amnesty activists. He was owned by the Planned Parenthood, and now he's owned by Big Pumpkin. We all know Big Corn is just a stalking horse for Big Pumpkin. It's a, it's a lightning rod to take the heat away, so that uh, Big Pumpkin can can come in when uh, everyone least expect him. Um, yeah, so the early September they drop the hammer. Yeah, we must elect Ted Cruz so that he, the true conservative can fight Big Pumpkin. That's exactly right. Big Pumpkin and the elders are working together, so forget about it. And, you know, pumpkins are rolling over from the border from Mexico, so that's a real problem. We, we need a, you know, we, <laughs> we need a, a wall uh, to keep out the pumpkins. All right. Well, you got to watch out for the, the great pumpkin invasion. I mean, yeah, Mexico. Yeah, Mexico, they're not sending their best pumpkins. They're sending all the rotten ones. It's creeping pumpkin. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Charlie Brown is their other uh, chief lobbyist. <laughs> all right, I guess that, that kind of uh, sums it up. All right, thanks, everyone, for uh, for listening. This has been the Buckley Club Podcast. The, um, Jay Cobb, you can find me on Twitter at TBCJ. You can go to our website, thebuckleyclub.com. And thanks to Alec. Avi, hey. Liam, thanks for having me. Rhino, yeah, anytime. Uh, yeah, actually, I was uh, I was off last week, so uh, thanks for me for coming back on. Um, glad to glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on. This is the Buckley Club podcast. Signing off. I can you wrap this up? I gotta go hust yeah, some it. corn out in the hust some corn out in the backyard.